HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, a radio show about young farmers featuring young farmers with conversations between young farmers and for the benefit of the future of agriculture. Greenhorns, this is Severin. This is another episode of Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, recorded today from the Hudson Valley of New York. Uh, but I'm joined from those in the middle of the country, from Prairie Crossing Farm. Hello. Welcome welcome to the show. There's a many of you today. It's a really big deal. Yeah, three of us today. Would you mind introducing yourself and your and your farm there? Yeah, um, so I'll start off. My name is Logan, and um, I'm the farm educator at Prairie Crossing Learning Farm. Um, my name is Amir, and I am the senior crew leader this year at Prairie Crossing Learning Farm. And I'm Eric Carlberg, and I'm the farm manager of the Prairie Crossing Learning Farm. So for those who are familiar with the farm incubator model and or who attend many conferences of land trusts and progressive farm stewardship, farm tenure, land access topics, Prairie Crossing comes up all the time. You're like the golden child. Uh, but, but maybe not all of our listeners attend all those conferences. So could you give a little backstory on the Prairie Crossing project? Sure, sure. Uh, I'd be happy to. This is Eric, by the way. Uh, Prairie Crossing, in a nutshell, is a uh, it's, it's a housing development that was developed with a conservation ethic. We sit on approximately 700 acres uh, that used to be farmland uh, that has now become engulfed by suburbs. Uh, there were plans to build about 200 housing units here, and uh, zoning was was starting to get underway. A group of local folks decided they wanted to see something much different happen here. What happened was much of the land in that 700-acre plot was devoted to prairie restoration, 
100 acres was set aside for sustainable farming, and, uh, and about 375 homes were built uh, rather than 2,000. There's roughly 70% open space uh, here that has been uh, incorporated into the design. So we're, we're um, a part of that preserved farmland. There's a 40-acre farm, uh, very successful, called Sand Hill Organics. There's a farm business development center or farm incubator program uh, that uses a portion of that land. And then there's the educational farm. And uh, today you're, you're hearing from the three of us uh, who are all part of that educational farm known as the Prairie Crossing Learning Farm. So, the, so it really it is a crossing and that the crossing over uh, the kind of whole spectrum between uh, habitat conservation, educational farming, uh, incubating farmers, and also having a commercially a commercial production farm. Yeah, that's correct. And we're you know we we have a farm that really competes strongly in the Chicago region, uh, part of the local food movement, a uh, real model here. And you know we also. Uh, work with kindergartners in, in the garden, sometimes three-year-olds, giving them a, a chicken to hold for the first time. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things that happen here. Um, and, and I think it's nice to, to see that not always is it super compatible to have kindergartners on a commercial farm and that, you know, the solution to that is to accommodate them maybe separately in, in, in time, if not in space. But... Uh, Maybe you guys could reflect a little bit how you arrived at Prairie Crossing, and, and especially since this is mostly geared towards the listenership of young farmers, uh, what it's like to plug into an institution that was kind of formulated before your time and has a, an institution that has a certain mandate, uh, and then, you know, how that, can, how that can function professionally for you as an, as an opportunity to, you know, inhabit a role um, and then if that role can evolve or, or where you see it kind of in your own professional trajectory. Um, yeah, this is Amir. Um, I'm the senior crew leader, and this is my fourth year working with the Prairie Crossing Learning Farm, and um, I can say that I progressed through the years working here. Um, I started as a crew member and worked my way up sort of seeing the changes around the farm. Um, but not only changes on the farm, but changes within myself. Um, before I found this program, I really wanted to go into law, politics. I wanted to be a lawyer, you know, just something that would make me successful, you know, um, financially. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. But learning more about um, sustainability and agriculture really just opened my eyes to, like, what I actually really wanted to do, which have to, something to deal with uh, outside land, um, maybe farming or become an environmentalist. But being here on the farm has changed my course, and I'm grateful for that because now I really understand what you know sustainability means to me or what it means to anyone else. And it's really given me a chance to sort of tell my friends all about what I'm doing, and they really respect the fact that, you know, I am young, and I kind of really love 
doing what I do, and I think it's cool that they're listening and they're sort of getting involved. You know, when, whenever we have volunteer days, they like to come along or listen and hear more about it. So I think I've sort of evolved with the farm along with the program, and I think it's really just been a great opportunity for me to be here um, working alongside with great people and learning so much at such a young age because um, not many, you know, really know or understand the value that comes with farming. So in that sense, even though the farm is, is not, you know, ancient like an agricultural village, the fact that there are certain principles bound up in the, in the farm's kind of uh, institutional past means that there is an expectation and a, and a like, upfront, upfrontness to the ethic and the purpose of the farm, and that that maybe can help and or enhance the cultural and educational value that you get by working there? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's really... Um, definitely let me see and understand the culture, and not even that, but... How's that? I can. That's a lot better. That, that's good. I can hear you great. So I guess I guess that to to frame that as a question, um, in the community of people who live there uh, and who are kind of constitute your your culture of your prairie crossing farm, what are some of the expectations that they have that may be different from what a kind of a CSA community or just a kind of general uh, rural town community would have an expectation of a farm that's in the middle of where they live? Um, to say that we don't have a CSA community would be uh, wrong. We do have uh, several CSA communities. Each of the farm incubators market and have their own pool of CSA members. Uh, we, the Learning Farm, have our own CSA as well. So each farm, um, there's probably, how many are there, 10, 11? There's probably about 10 or 11 farms that have CSAs on um, all within the Prairie Crossing farm um, complex. So I think the difference is that we're very open to the public. Um, we welcome uh, people from the community to, to come and visit, to come and learn about things that we're doing. And our... Um, pretty much an open book. As for other farms, um, we have a lot more staff, a lot more time to be able to take time to educate people. We have programs to educate people, uh, tours. And so we're very open to the public and want people to come visit, learn more about what we're doing. And um, therefore, by gaining knowledge, uh, we'll start to support the local food movement and sustainable agriculture that way. And, and I can speak to your previous question a little bit too. This is this is Eric. Uh, you are correct in in saying that uh, Prairie Crossing was established, you know, in the early 90s with 10 guiding principles, and uh, uh, and those have definitely influenced our program from the uh, from the inception, particularly our program with. Uh, Area high school students, we uh, we really have made an effort to uh, include economic and uh, racial diversity, and feel like it's um, 
it's not just something that we should be doing. It is, uh, it is a huge benefit to have as many different kinds of folks with different backgrounds uh, contributing to our programs so that we're, we're, uh, we're all learning. Uh, we have folks here that uh, have backgrounds farming in Mexico. Uh, one of our incubator farmers is from India. And uh, just the, the kind of background that, that they bring from their experiences farming abroad, the way they answer certain questions to certain problems, uh, enriches us all, and uh, it's a real it's a real blessing to be a part of a place like that. Well, one thing that it you know is plainly obvious when you attend agricultural conferences, be they conventional or uh, sustainable or organic alternative ag uh, events, is that the predominant demographic is uh, white people, and mm-hmm. and you know obviously that skews heavily towards white male. Uh, when you are talking about ranching or 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 even just crop farming, and but the, really the inclusion of non-farm background, urban minority women, um, uh, non-English speaking farmers in this kind of upward mobility into becoming owner operators of farms uh, can occur. You know, really occurs best with some set of support because it is so difficult to start a small business of any kind in the United States, but then particularly uh, if you don't have any social network to draw from uh, or are what USDA would call socially disadvantaged, uh, the, the challenges are, are tremendous. Could you reflect on how those m- members of your community and the incubator community in particular, um, you know, once supported and kind of incubated by Prairie Crossing... <laughs> Uh, how does that prepare them to go out into the wider, the big, bad, uh, real-world, agricultural world to continue to grow their business um, and be, what, what do you, I don't know, you call them hatchlings? Would you have a, give a word for that? Well, uh, I'd be happy to take a stab at your question. This is Eric. Uh, the, three, the three of us here are, are not really a part of that incubator program that's run by... Uh, of our other colleagues. We're, we're focused primarily on youth education, but, um, but I would say that uh, people here in the incubator program are, are running a real business. They have, they have markets at, at some of the best markets in Chicago. They, they learn the struggles of, of planting and maintaining a budget and uh, operating with a crew of employees, all the weather uh, challenges. And so the program here is a real chance to, uh, to uh, try out uh, farming without necessarily needing to raise all the money that it would take to purchase land and equipment. And, and we've had some people graduate, graduate from the program. We tend to call them graduates of our program. Uh, but I could just briefly say uh, how it relates to our youth farming program is, is uh, it gives us an example. It gives us multiple examples to point to. Uh, we, our neighbors, uh, the people using our land, are, are real people forming real farm businesses, solving problems in their own particular way, drawing upon their skills. And it's a great example for our students to look 
out and see that our students are all talented people who solve problems differently and have different dreams, and, and they have uh, not just one one person they can look out and see, but they, they have many who are all trying to succeed in farming. And then, and then they, and well, I suppose it's not fair to ask you so much because you're in the educational department, but have you had graduates of the program who've gone on and relocated their businesses um, kind of outside of your incubator in that sense, like hatch them out into the world after they build their real business, their real brand, their real QuickBooks, you know, their real delivery van, et cetera? Are they really able to move it off-site, or is it still kind of in the in-situ uh, support system phase, or is that even a goal? No, it is a goal. The program is uh, six years old, and we've had several graduates. The, the one that uh, we have a graduate, Temple Organics, Temple Farm Organics, is a, is a graduate of our program. Uh, I'm sure you can Google that and find them online. They're very, doing very, very well on, on 60 acres, of only about 12 miles from us. Uh, it is definitely a goal of the program that people graduate in, uh, in five years. Uh, the program, like I said, is about five or six years old. Uh, we've had others. Uh, Mike and Claire's produce uh, was launched here, and, uh, and I believe uh, perhaps one more, although I'm drawing a blank. But uh, already in, in about five years, we're... we're already got some successes under our belt. Um, okay, so let's go back and talk more about the educational uh, aspects, since that's where you guys are focusing your energy, and it seems unfair to make you ask answer incubator questions. Um, one thing that's striking here in the Hudson Valley, we just had a kind of hyper-local uh, young farmer uh, research project that was done by the Hawthorne Valley uh, Farmscape Ecology, Hawthorne Valley is similar to Prairie Crossing in that it's a real hub of uh, activity around farming and in many ways a model community with a school and summer camp and bakery and all these things. And they did a, a study basically like anthropology about young farmers in the valley. And in every single case, and they did 18 in-depth profiles, in every single case the farmers remember the beginning of their farming impulse from childhood uh, and not necessarily from uh, being involved in commercial agriculture on a family farm, but from visiting on a school trip, visiting a grandmother or, or, or relative farm, etc. And I wonder, how do, you, how do you handle that, like, kind of balance, the tender balance of, like, not being propagandist, uh, but still figuring out how to tap these kids and, and make them into farmers. Maybe you can just talk about how do you, do you try to teach these kids just kind of about rural, rural living? Uh, well, I guess my question was basically how do you do it without forcing them to think about being farmers still plant the seeds of becoming a farmer? So, I don't know if you heard the whole preamble. Yeah, yeah. I think you uh, you were asking how do we uh, 
Yeah, yeah. You're asking, are we are we uh, shoving it down people's throats, or are we, uh, you know, how, how do we do this without just being propaganda machines for uh, for sustainable farming? That's that that's that's the gist of it, correct? That's the yeah. That's the question I wanted. <laughs> well, I I um, Logan and I can speak to that, and and we do have a. A part, an 18-year-old participant of our program here, Zamir, who uh, I, I, I'd love to hear his his reflections on whether or not he feels like we brainwashed him. Uh, but but I think uh, I, I'll just briefly say this is Eric that uh, you know people today uh, are really interested in where food comes from, and it it doesn't matter what demographic you're from. Um, you know, people of all times and all places, we, all, we always eat food. Food is the most essential part of our life. It, it shapes our, our daily life. It shapes our cultural identity. And when you get people uh, talking about food, uh, it, it breaks down a lot of barriers. And uh, so, you know, in, in our program, we do a lot of cooking, uh, you know, we're we're out in the fields working together. So much of what we do is is action, and people uh, can fall in love with with the actions of farming and cooking and preparing food without us ever really saying, uh, you know, any anything that might be construed as a political statement for or against a particular kind of farming. Yeah, to um, uh, feed off what. Um, Eric was saying, um, I never felt that way at all. I've always felt like um, whenever they did speak about something that I didn't understand, it just, just sparked, you know, natural curiosity. Um, just being outside around it, like, always asking, what's this, what's this? Um, having the educational sessions and explaining, you know, on a basic level, so even going, you know, scientific or even going into biology, it really it intrigued me, and I wanted to learn more about it, and I felt that's why I just connected with it and just became so much more passionate that I just wanted to keep on learning more. And, you know, we're not just sitting down getting lectured. We're going on different field trips. We're, we're, um, we're watching videos. We're going out into the field, learning, and we're actually, you know, seeing the material and looking at these, like, specimens uh, that we're actually talking about, and we're, we're, we're growing and we're learning with it along along with the program, so we're seeing the changes along that we're actually hearing and learning about, and we're viewing them right in front of our eyes. So I guess that's how I sort of always taking it in. I've, I've never, never thought that, you know, it was all propaganda and brainwashing, but I've always thought it was just something that they just loved preaching, not preaching, but loved talking about and wanting to expand and just get a different generation's view on, you know, what has come to, like, farming today and that's sort of what I want to carry on and have that young voice be heard and hopefully I'll still, still be as passionate as I am today. And do they make you work hard in the field for a long time? <laughs> um, well, it is a working farm and we do work out in the fields, but never where I'm about to, like, pass out or, you know, pain of overwork. Did you hear my it's question? It's a good balance, which I, I really like because it isn't like I'm just coming here and just, Sitting around and just plucking at weeds, but I'm doing a different, different um, variety. Hello, did, did anyone hear my question? Yeah, I heard your question. 
No, we're having serious not being able to hear each other problems. He said that he could hear your question. Can you not hear him at the moment? No, I can't hear him. Oh, okay. Um, perhaps uh, if there's any way that you could speak a little bit closer into the receiver, that would be very helpful. Uh, is Zamir. This, is this, can you hear me now? Yeah, are you, are you responding to do they make you work for a really long time outside in the hot sun? Yeah. Um, so, like I, like I stated, um, it's never, never like uh, we're out working, you know, for the longest hours. I'm, it's a good balance between work and educational sessions. Um, so I never felt that we were always out there just sweating, sweating, sweating. But it, I like how it is, you know, work and that we're not just sitting around plucking at weeds. Um, it, there's always a different, different thing to do each day. Um, I can be, you know, helping out the chickens one day and then go harvesting and then doing some weeding. And, you know, I'm never just sitting there. I'm always doing something, which I, I liked with this job. Um, it's definitely different, and it's, it's very dynamic, and you definitely gain so much um, more characteristics about yourselves, not just, like, physical, but mentally and just intellectually and maybe even spiritually. Like, it, it definitely makes you embrace what you have been given and what you're learning and using it, you know, even outside of work. Do you have a sense already of what areas, uh, what areas you might focus on or where you might put your life in terms of farming? Yeah, um, so I'll be attending Earlham College um, actually in a couple, couple weeks. Um, I'll be hopefully majoring in environmental studying studies and hopefully um, getting maybe a, like a certificate in sustainable agriculture or just something along the side of that. Um, my goal right now, which I think would be pretty cool, is you know maybe come back here and start one of start um, as one of the incubator farmers, um, just you know renting some land and just having at it and just seeing where it'll take me. Um, but that's sort of my long-term goal right now is just to open up my own farm and just take it on. And you're not scared of how unaffordable land is or how inaccessible credit is or uh, all of the other terrible um, busy work involved? You're unafraid and you're... I, I would probably... Um, definitely a rush of emotions that come by. I've definitely witnessed accounts of the other farmers of where they want to pull their hair out or other days where it just runs smoothly. Um, it all comes with a title, and I feel like the experience that I'm getting here is just preparing me even more, um, just like a stepping block for me to be prepared, and um, I'm just ready. I, I know I still have school left, but I feel like this job has given me so much more um, like a, a different inside scoop, a different view of what actually goes on, you know, not just the outside surface of, oh, we're a farm and we grow produce, but the actual nitty-gritty business and, you know, supplies and how it all works and, like, how it, how it needs to unfold. And you're going to do vegetables or you're going to do mixture, uh, vegetable and, and, and livestock, or what's the kind of general um, thrust? Yeah, of, I mean... You know, I already have a name of your farm? Uh, yeah, I, 
I'm I'm still working on that. Um, I'm still still learning so much more. Um, I still have four years of school to go, um, so I'm not sure what kind of farm or my, the name or where, but I know that I'd, I'd like to have that someday. All right, well, we look for, I look forward to checking back in. Um, I hope we'll both still be around in the next four years. We can remember this moment, and, and you'll say, oh, I figured out the name of my farm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so so this is supposed to be a question for Logan. Uh, you're, running this, you're running this program right now uh, as an educator. Are you, are you feeling like that's a... Uh, like you want to be a, an educator forever, or is being an educator a good kind of uh, like tempering force for agriculture um, and the good way to have a salary until you want to start your own farm, or are you feeling like being an educator is your role forever? I definitely think that uh, being an educator is more of the my focus in that. Um, when you learn about things in textbooks, that's one thing, but here on the farm, we have a lot of experience and ex experiential opportunities for the students to learn hands-on by doing, and I feel that that's why uh, Prairie Crossing Learning Farm is such a unique experience because they're learning about a variety of different things. Um, we talk about biology and botany and the food systems all by doing it outside. Uh, the classroom where we have our educational sessions is outside, and um, we learn about insects, animals on the farm, beneficial um, compost and the biology of that. So I think that the opportunity to teach outside and actually be involved and immersed in what we're teaching is really unique and something that I really value. Um, it deepens the understanding of the students that you're trying to teach. Uh, they connect on a deeper level by actually being able to experience it, not just look at pictures or read about it. Um, they learn, everyone learns in their own unique way, and by having the actual experience and being able to talk about it through discussion and reading is just so multi multifaceted that it really, you're able to understand the concepts that we discuss in depth, and they're often very complex concepts. So I think that if, if I was in a classroom just solely teaching from books, it would be a lot more discussion and not as hands-on and not as interesting to learn about. So by teaching outside, it really piques students' interest in sustainable agriculture, and I think that that really helps um, them get interested, want to become more involved uh, through that hands-on experience. Well, and it sounds like for you also, uh, teaching outside, you know, learning outside is great for the students, and teaching outside is more gratifying for the teachers. Uh, when people leave your program, do they get a, a certificate of some kind, or is there, like, uh, some accreditation toward... Um, towards, well, for instance, an FSA loan that would help them start financing a startup farm operation or, or kind of a reference that a apprenticeship, apprenticeship-type learning experience that they would, you know, oh, they're coming from Prairie Crossing. 
they're going to be a good apprentice or they're going to be a good farm worker? Um, I think having been through the Prairie Crossing uh, Learning Farm, the Prairie Farm Corps program, um, yeah, like you said, that, oh, they, they're coming from Prairie Crossing. They have a certain amount of credibility in that um, a lot of our members have gone to, that have completed our Prairie Farm Corps job training program in the summer. Uh, the following summer, they've went and worked on organic farms, like the farm incubators will hire them. And the, a lot of the farm incubators feel confident in hiring them um, because we're able to speak on their behalf and have worked with them for a whole season that it's um, more of a, they have more confidence in hiring someone that they don't know that they know has been through the Prairie Crossing program um, and know has an interest and some educational experience in sustainable agriculture than as opposed to someone who has not. But we haven't... Someone just off the street, as it were. Yeah, we haven't, we don't really discuss FSA loans with them as um, a requirement to be in the Prairie Farm Corps program is you have to be a high school student um, and that it, it works well because we have them starting to work in early April uh, to get the farm ready, to start sowing seeds and stuff like that, and often isn't possible to work with college students being away until late spring, early summer, coming home from summer break. So we, all of our members are high school students in that they can come in a couple days a week in the evenings to um, really get the farm up and running before the main growing season starts. Well, and, you know, it's a, it's a great thing that the uh, agricultural schedule uh, is compatible with the school schedule. Um how do, you, how do people find your program? Is it advertised in schools or word of mouth? or I mean, obviously, all of these farmers selling at farmer's markets must do a great, a great job of getting the word out. But uh, do you guys do promotion to, like, guidance counselors? Or, or what would you suggest for other programs that are similar uh, in terms of getting attendance for, for the training program? Um, what we've done and have found works really well is uh, gone with information, um, flyers to local high schools and talk to guidance counselors. Often there's um, transition specialists that help students in need get jobs. Um, we have relationships with uh, the local high schools in our area that we work closely with, set up interviews and uh, post flyers on job boards and really interviewed that way. Um, another way that we've advertised is at youth centers um, where kids go to hang out after school. We found that that works really well. Um, but by far, the best way that we have found that has been tried and proven is going to local high schools, talking to guidance counselors that have the, re- the relationship with those students, and really finding out which students would be a good fit um, because it is a really demanding job. It is a unique job in that it, it can be challenging at times. So the counselors, the guidance counselors, the teachers have a, a relationship with those students and they can have discussions with those students to really find out if they'd be a good fit. And because um, we don't want, we want to have as many kids complete the program as possible and not 
quit or drop out um, because they found out that it's something that they don't want to do. So this is all, um, this is very good suggestions. Those who are listening to this program and who are not yet aware of the Farm-Based Education Network and the um, Farm to School Movement and Farm to Cafeteria Conference, which is upcoming in Vermont uh, next weekend, not next weekend, but the weekend after that at Shelburne Farms, this kind of, this kind of programmatic discussion of how to make sure that you are getting the word out to your prospective clientele, which, of course, are the prospective young farmers uh, for the future of American nutrition, is a very important it's a very important recruitment that has to happen, and, and, I, and the insights that you share there with the guidance counselors, that's the kind of insights you would be able to get by tuning into those kind of educator networks. And I recommend heartily uh, that if you're interested in that kind of stuff, that you tune into that conference in Shelburne Farms. Any, any last words or um, resources that you guys wanted to point out, point towards um, uh, books, organizations, models around the country that would serve the interests of those who are pursuing similar work? Yeah, um, I definitely have one that comes to mind in that we've um, modeled our program, our FarmCorps program, off of somewhat, and it's um, a pretty widely known one. You've probably heard of it, the Boston Food Project. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and so we kind of took that concept in working with youth and a lot of their resources that they have available in print, publication, and online to kind of uh, get a starting point because it is overwhelming to just start from scratch and reinvent the wheel, and they have a lot of great resources and um, you know, topics to talk about, inspiring motivation, and kind of structuring the program if you don't really know where to start. Um, they have great resources for you to get ideas and kind of um, make your own program and develop uh, what's unique about your program from that. But it's always great to start with some resources to have advice or ideas, um, and they do a great job of uh, doing that with different team-building activities and uh, educational things that they talk about that can be applicable to your farm that you're trying to start or uh, the group of youth that you're working with. So doing your homework and your research is critical for all serious humans, but particularly in this uh, important job of farm-based education, and I appreciate the reference. I should interview those guys. That would be really fun. That project is really groundbreaking. So I it think is, with that, yeah. we'll, leave, we'll leave this discussion for another day, and I thank you guys so much for joining me on what must be a very hot afternoon there. It's certainly a very hot afternoon here. Uh, and and invite, well, I just hope we can get to meet sometime, basically. Yeah, that would be great. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. All, all the best. Thank you for your work. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio.
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.